evening and welcome to tonight's edition of Resistance TV. I'm delighted this evening to welcome Natalie Strecker to join us on the programme. She's a human rights activist, a Palestine solidarity campaigner, a YouTuber, writer and a member of the Resist Movement, I'm pleased to say. And uh, she's going to be speaking to us tonight about the resistance to the Israeli apartheid system. And She's got quite a lot of experience in that regard, uh, has been uh, in Palestine as a uh, human rights uh, monitor in, in Hebron. But first of all, I want to ask uh, uh, Natalie if she could tell us a little bit about a project that she's working on now to raise funds for an interesting uh, theatre production initiative to really put the uh, Israeli military court system on trial. And uh, it's, I think, as I understand it, uh, Natalie, centred around uh, Issa Amro, who is a uh, Palestinian activist who was uh, subjected to trumped-up charges uh, from the uh, Israeli state. And uh, it, people may remember some of our regular viewers uh, that Issa was actually on our programme a few months ago, speaking about the situation uh, in uh, Palestine. So just tell us a little bit about that, uh, Natalie, about that project, how far you've got and what, what's hoped to be achieved by that and how much you're seeking to raise. Yeah, of course. Um, so basically what happened is I was contacted by an Israeli friend of mine called Jose, um, who I met while serving as a human rights monitor in Hebron. Um, so he is an activist with Tayush, which is kind of like an Israeli organisation that has a partnership with um, Palestinians um, trying to resist the occupation non-violently. Um, and he contacted me and explained to me there was this project going on and would I be happy to be connected with Inat Wiseman, who is um, an Israeli actress, um, playwright and activist. Um, so I said, yeah, of course, absolutely. Um, and then following a conversation with her, I was then put in contact with Tomo Fowler, who is one of the um, directors, um, or a theatre director, who will also be working on a project along with a Norwegian um, theatre director called um, Marius. Yeah, Marius, I think it was. So basically, um, I'm kind of um, tasked with being the fundraiser for the project. Um, there's a GoFundMe, which a lot of you might well have seen already. Um, as a minimum, we need to fundraise £2,000 just for the basic costs of that. Um, although they had like a seed fund um, commission they received from, I think it's called Finbra, I just need to check that, um, which is a theatre in the um, UK. I think it's based in London, actually. Um, so, yeah, Finsbra, Finbra Theatre. Um, so basically, um, obviously, because of COVID, they've really been... Um, impacted along with many other sort of different um, areas and industries by COVID, um, which is why we're sort of doing the fundraising. But as you said, it really the theatre production is to basically put the Israeli military court on trial. It will be a series of projects of plays. The first one um, will be focused on my good friend Issa Amro, um, as you know, was a UN former, um, formerly recognised human rights defender who was basically convicted. He was originally um, had 18 charges laid against them, all trumped up, but was convicted on six um, earlier this year. I kind of wrote about that. People who are interested can obviously look at my Medium account and read that. Um, but the idea is to then focus on child prisoners and um, female prisoners with Within the military court system, which, as we know, has a conviction rate over over ninety nine percent. 
so that is is just a form of uh, creative resistance. And I think in light of what's just happened with the release of the Human Rights Watch report um, on apartheid and how Israel is guilty of the crime of apartheid, I think it couldn't come really at a better time because we know that one of the ways that Israel um, uh, puts that apartheid on people um, is through the military court system. Yeah, interesting. Uh, how can people contribute, uh, Natalie, to the fund if they want to? Um, so if they go to my, obviously I'm on Twitter, um, at Natalie Strecker. I can't remember the numbers that come underneath it, but you'll find me um, easily enough. There is a GoFundMe. It's also featured on Jersey Palestine Solidarity campaign page. Um, so they can just look on there, or otherwise they can contact you and I can direct them um, to the okay, GoFundMe cool. account. Nice one, yeah. I mean, you're, you're a kind of veteran uh, pro-Palestinian campaign. How would you, in your assessment, say the attitudes of the British public has changed or not over the time that you've been involved. Is there a great awareness now of what's happening in Israel? Um, absolutely. I think um, that the tide really turns. I, I mean, it has different things obviously attracted different individuals um, to the movement um, and at least to become aware of the situation. I think 2014 was a huge one with Protective Edge in Gaza. Um, and I think that over my short period, what I have noticed, although there is, I mean, there's two things that are happening. One, there is greater awareness, and I think more and more people are seeing um, Israel for the apartheid state that it is. And obviously, that's backed up by, obviously, the reports um, by Israeli group Betzlem and Yeshtin. Um, obviously, Amnesty's been talking about things for, for a little while about the apartheid nature of Israel. Um, but definitely, that has helped promote it. But I also think... Um, the silencing of Palestinians has caused, you know, so that although more people are aware, I think more people are supportive. We also see people silencing themselves and self-censoring as a result of the, I'm sure we'll speak about at some point, the uh, witch hunt um, that happened in the Labour Party and this real fear that individuals have. I mean, I don't know if any of you watched the Channel 4 report the other night. I know you saw clips. I tend, not, I tend to stay away for the most part from mainstream media. Um, for obvious reasons. Um, but it talked to um, John Snow was speaking to a guy who was involved in the Mars, a Palestinian guy who was involved in the Mars project. Um, and he actually didn't speak about Palestine at all. He talked about Gaza, um, a region in the Middle East, which was really interesting. And John Snow um, historically has not been too bad for a mainstream journalist. So that was really disappointing. But you see a lot of this self-censorship. So although I would say there is growing support, there is also this growing self-censorship as, um, as a reaction to the fear of being um, accused of anti-Semitism. Absolutely. I mean, we, we will come on to that a little bit later on in the, in the programme. But uh, that's certainly been my experience as well, what you've said there in relation to there being a great awareness. I mean, myself included. I mean, I always had, a, yeah. had an interest, but wasn't fully au fait with the situation in Palestine. And uh, certainly it was an eye-opener once I started to look into it a bit more. But uh, what do you put it down to, the fact that there does seem to be this great awareness now? Because I think going back, you know, from certainly when I was uh, a youngster in the 60s and 70s, you know, it wasn't really an issue that people knew very much about. But I think the awareness is, is a, a lot higher now. What, how, what do you I put that down to? I think it's social media. Obviously, social media we always have to be careful with because we know that our timelines um, can be hacked, um, as we know from Cambridge Analytica and other things. Um, but I think that social media can also be um, 
used in a very positive way to highlight um, situations and allows ordinary people to have a platform. So I do think that a lot of it comes from that. And also, as more people are aware, they tend to talk. I mean, that's what's happened with me, um, you know, from speaking to different people and them you know, quite often when people hear about Palestine initially, they think, oh, it's controversial, it's complicated, all of these things. But if you're somebody who, who you know, if you're a friend that they know and then you start talking about it or they know that you've been there, they feel much more comfortable to ask the questions. So I think that we should never underestimate the value of actually just speaking to people, um, you know, being appropriate, being tactical, being smart about how we kind of discuss the subject you know, mm. not to bombard them because that can <laughs> turn people off. But that's been my experience. So I do think the combination of social media, more people having awareness and therefore talking about it, I think that has been huge. And obviously this huge left-wing movement, obviously even with Corbyn um, having been a supporter of Palestine, you know, although there's been a lot of damage as a result of that in terms of the Board of Deputies and everything that they've done and, and obviously the Israel lobby groups, um, but in addition to that, I think it has also made people look at it to go, well, what is the fuss all about? So in some ways, mm. they probably helped raise the issue or put the focus, you know, the spotlight on the issue, even though that probably wasn't what they hoped. <laughs> no, indeed. I just want to show, show a couple of videos now, just in your point, uh, Natalie, about uh, social, me uh, social media. Uh, they're very short videos. And, uh, and I think it does illustrate the point that you're making about getting the message out there. Of course, what we're finding, though, is that the algorithms are being manipulated. And so yeah. although we've got access to social media. I think, you know, the things aren't getting as wide a circulation. You know, left wing voices aren't getting as wide a circulation as they used to do. I take my own, when I was first re-elected to Parliament in 2017, and I've got a really great uh, team of people uh, around me who were really very kind of astute with the use of social media and filming and technical stuff, which I'm not very good at. <laughs> I used to just sort of go in front of the camera. <laughs> <and stuff laughs> we used to get on a regular basis, we'd be disappointed if we didn't get over 100,000 views. Most of them would get a half a million views and some of them got over several million views. The one I did on Grenville, for example, I think got four or five million views. The algorithms were then changed and, you know, we were lucky to get, you know, if we got 50 60,000, you know, we, we thought we're doing really, really well. You know, they're a lot, lot less than that. So that's something to uh, be mindful of as well. But it is a great tool, though, and I think we do need to use it. And the more people that do use it, of course, it's, it's, a, it's a, I suppose it's a, it's a way of amplifying, amplifying that word of mouth, isn't it, really, that we yeah. used to perhaps uh, try to do in the past when we were much more restricted with media. But I'll just ask Gaz now to just play these couple of uh, clips, and then I'm going to ask you about your time as a uh, human rights monitor in Hebron. Thank you. We take house after house. Uh, all this area uh, will be a Jewish neighborhood. We are not finished the job. We are, we are going to the next neighborhood, and after that we will go more. Our uh, dream that uh, all East Jerusalem uh, will be like uh, West Jerusalem, Jewish capital of Israel. זה בא על חשבון הערבים? כן, גם בג"ץ והכנסת בנויים על חשבון ערבים, וגם המדינה כאן הוקמה, כן, על חשבון חלק מהתושבים הערבים שגרו פה.
What those two videos illustrate to me, I think, is the daily reality of, of Zionism, uh, you know, the brutality of it in terms of the way in which Palestinian people are treated on a daily basis. We know about children being dragged away and uh, the way protesters are, uh, are, are dealt with by the uh, Israeli Defence Force, uh, people regularly being, uh, you know, beaten, killed, maimed imprisoned uh shocking state of affairs and of course the whole settler colonial aspect of uh, of zionism that um is essentially just you know pushing people out of their land stealing their land stealing their homes i mean of course the original establishment of israel um required did it not uh, the removal forcible removal of three quarters of a million palestinian people um so it is a settler colonial state. The nation law uh, uh, um, legislation that uh, came in basically em emphasized the second class um, status of, uh, of non-Jewish uh, um, Israelis. And so I just wanted to, uh, and, and the point I was just gonna make uh, Natalie there is as I've said that those two, those two videos were, were shown on, I mean, I saw them on, on Twitch and I thought they'd be relevant to our discussion this evening so it's a good way i think of just sort of getting that message out there and uh, you know nothing you know speaks better i think than than, than moving pictures in that sense so just yeah. tell us a little bit about your experience then as uh, as a human rights um uh, monitor in in hebron i think you were there a couple of years a couple of three years ago weren't you yeah i was there in the autumn of 2018 um so yeah i served as a human rights monitor um in hebron or al Khalil. Um, and actually, whilst I was there, um, it was really interesting to see the difference between um, different units as well, because in the first part of my, and, and there's an um, important point of, um, related to this, is in, in the beginning, we had the Nahul who come from a kibbutz. Um, and I think that many of the Israeli soldiers in there, because a lot of them, obviously, they're just school leavers. They're only young. It's the years before they go on to university, generally. Um, and some of them, you could see, felt very uncomfortable about what it was they were doing and try to be as humane as possible within a context that violates human rights on a daily basis. That's not obviously true of all of them, but certainly there were some that we observed that with. Um, but halfway through our... Um, the period that we were stationed there, we saw the Galani Brigade. Now, the Galani Brigade come from, were one of the Zionist militia, that's how they were formed. Um, and the Galani Brigade um, were previously their extremists, and, and previously when they served within um, Hebron, their service had come, was cut short abruptly because of the amount of human rights violations they were that, uh, that happened during their um, period of, of um, serving within that area so that was so during my period there there was a real change in terms of real escalation of um, the crimes committed against the Palestinian people um, but in terms of how how it was generally um, I think I would say I mean I, I've said this before I, I did a podcast with a friend of mine called Eddie which some people may have seen sort of a clip of um, and so just repeat some of what I said there, you really see the best and the worst of humanity. I met incredible Israelis, brave, you know, obviously Palestinians, incredible that endure things that should never, no human should be, should need to endure. Um, but it was, I think that 
I think people have spoken about the banality of evil. I think I've heard that expression used before. And I think that's really what you observe. So there's extreme things I saw, like um, a settler tried whilst I was giving um, with my um, team protective presence um, when individuals were, the settlers were going to their Shabbat service. Um, but during that period, I saw a, a settler deliberately try to run over a three-year-old and an 18-month-old. I managed to, gra um, to grab one of the children whilst the father grabs the other. Um, and then there was the time where I just visited. I'd literally been there a short time before. They shot an unarmed Palestinian father as he was leaving his home and left him to bleed out on the floor. Um, so there's that extreme violence we saw in it, and there were kind of, sort of other incidents and the, alongside that it's the you see the total humiliation of Palestinians in every conceivable way so whether it's at the checkpoints making them stand making them lift up their tops um you know like old men were having to undo their trousers um you know and, and it would be young women doing this Israeli soldiers enforcing this um I saw children that were held you know, locked into the checkpoint and not allowed to leave, even with us sort of asking questions about what was happening. In fact, on one occasion, when it was, um, I think it was during the Jewish holiday of Sukkot. So they obviously, obviously have settlers, but lots of other settlers from around Israel will, will come to Hebron to do tours and the rest of it. But although freedom of movement is greatly restricted anyway, it's restricted even more during these periods. And so there was one occasion when they were just trying to access school where they the children were stopped. Um, and after, a few, you know, about 10 minutes, I went and asked the um, what seemed to be the most senior um, Israeli soldier what was happening. And he said he noticed it. So he went and spoke to them and then came back and said, well, what it is, he says, we're just waiting. And there already there are about six soldiers there with guns. What it is, is we're waiting for the other Israeli soldiers to arrive before we can let them out in order to protect the um, the Jewish uh, citizens of the area. And these were children that can't have been any older than eight. Um, mm. But there were so many things like, obviously we saw homes being trashed. Uh, I was there for the feast of uh, Sarah, which is a made up feast by the way, it's only been happening the last few years, um, where Israeli settlers and actually um, international Zionists from all around the world, um, Jewish Zionists, would descend on the area and they were camping everywhere. And Hebron is, um, I think it's the only city in the West Bank where you're, where alcohol is forbidden. And they were um, drinking alcohol and chucking their beer bottles at Palestinian homes. They were attacking Palestinians. Um, one of the times when we were giving pre presents within the sukkah, they were overturning the tables of Palestinians that had all their wares on that they were trying to sell. Um, I kind of talk about that if, and I've got a Medium article where I talk about my reflections um, on serving Palestine. It, it was, uh, I wrote it for the um, 75th anniversary of our liberation um, in Jersey from our own occupation. Obviously, it was a walk in the park compared to what the Palestinians have to endure. Um, but there's a little bit of video footage on there you can see during that period. But it's, yeah, it's, there's so many things like,
Mm. You know, many of the Palestinian um, children, well, the families rely on Food from the World's food program, but also um, they go to this, it's a charity where uh, Palestinians donate and others donate foods. And then you can go and collect food. So you see people, Palestinian children coming with buckets to come and get their, their soup and to get some, um, some bread. And for no discernible reason, the soldiers would just make them wait at the checkpoint as if just to remind them that they were inferior. And they'd be standing there with their buckets of soup, just not being allowed to go through. Um, terrible, terrible. No, it, it was just horrendous. Yeah. Shocking. And to have actually witnessed it and to get that first hand um, account is um, it's very, very powerful, Natalie, I've got to say. Um, you mentioned their kibbutz, uh, the kibbutz. And of course, uh, many of us in the Labour Party, and me included years ago, used to used to look on kibbutz as, you know, as being the social paradise. But of course, it's anything but that. It's kind of apartheid in uh, in action again, isn't it? I don't know if you want to say a little bit more about that and what your, what your thoughts are about the kibbutz system. And, um, well, the kibbutz is... Sorry, go on. No, 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 no. Yeah. You carry on. Yeah, so um, so obviously the kibbutz system, because this is the thing people forget when they look at Israel and um, they often think, well, the issue is Netanyahu. But I think people need to wake up to the reality that the issue is not Netanyahu. The issue, as you rightly said earlier, is settler colonialism. It was left groups that set up Israel. It was leftist groups or so-called leftist groups that were responsible for the massacres that you know set up the militia. Um, and you're quite right, set up the kibbutz. That's not, obviously I met um, a few people from the kibbutz. Um, I think there's the um, Israelis Against Home Demolitions, which, which were incredible. I can't remember the name of the gentleman I met now, but I certainly remember a lady called Ruth Hiller, who gave an incredible talk about the militarization of Israeli society, which was so important and, and so eye-opening in terms of the damage that this is doing to Israeli society, because obviously it's destroying the moral fabric of their society. But in terms of the kibbutz, now, I mean, what I would say is a lot of them are private now, and I remember that being highlighted as an issue to us. Um, but yeah, the kibbutz, obviously, they're, they're Jewish only. They, people can go and volunteer on them. Quite often there's restrictions. It depends how liberal that they are. And you will get, obviously, you know, as anywhere in Israeli society, those who support the Palestinians and recognize the apartheid nature of Israel. But mm. kibbutz in general is not a progressive. It's not what it's sold to be. You know, and I think it's really important people understand that. And often this is the issue that you get also with liberal Zionism, the idea that um, the occupation isn't isn't nice and that some point should be ended. Um, but no recognition of the Nakba, of how Israel was formed, you know, and the broken bodies really of Palestinians that it was built on. When I when I was a student, I uh, was a, a mature student, um, went to a polytechnic in the, the 1980s to train as a social worker. And in our social policy sessions, the, the kibbutz there, you know, was, was held up as, as a great model of, uh, of, you know, how an ideal kind of uh, cooperative society w would work. We, we didn't hear anything about this. I mean, and uh, you know, certainly nothing on the news. And uh, as I say, it just kind of reinforced that, that, that essentially propaganda but you know there's a lot of people and i'm sure you've heard it said to you uh who say and it's often israel apologists who say well why are you focusing on palestine there are many other human rights abuses around the world what's so special about palestine and they they try and imply that because we're focusing on on palestine or oh, that that implies some underlying anti or even overt anti-semitism yeah. <laughs> What, what 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 do you say to that uh, when, when people say, well, what why you why don't you focus on on other human rights abuses around the world? 
Well, clearly it's what about me. I mean, what I would say is it's for each individual to decide which area they want to focus on. Nobody says that if people decide to focus on Tibet or, you know, um, other areas of, you know, the crimes of Saudi Arabia against the Yemeni people, you know. I think that, you know, it, it's just a way of claiming victimhood again. And we see this constantly, this, this claim of victimhood, which is so destructive and actually endangers Jewish lives, as, as we well know, when we witness kind of what's happening in, in the world. Um, and I think that, you know, in terms, I mean, if I talk about my own personal reason for focusing on, on Palestine, that may be helpful, because I think it's probably similar to many other people. Um, there's a lot I didn't know about Palestine. I didn't know about Palestine for years, to be honest. I knew it was an issue. Um, but I thought it was a religious issue and kind of just thought it was too much of a mess to look at. And it was only when I started working with a colleague who actually was married to a Palestinian and heard these conversations with her husband about her mother-in-law being stuck at a checkpoint that my ears kind of pricked. And I thought, what's all that about? And that's actually, that was my route into Palestinian solidarity. And originally I had planned to join Amnesty Jersey um, to deal because I'm interested in all human rights as most Palestinian solidarity activists are and most of us actually on the left as a whole are um, but the reason why I ended up focusing on Palestine was because Amnesty Jersey refused to do anything on the issue and said it was there was two sides to every story and were clearly anti-Palestinian um, and when obviously that there's this idea that Israel is this liberal democracy the only democracy in the Middle East I think that for me, it um, should come under greater scrutiny because of the values it claims it upholds when clearly it doesn't. Um, and I think because the Palestinians have been so silenced, I mean, they're the most silenced people, you know, most silenced oppressed people in the world. That's beyond question. You don't have this issue with any other group. And for me, that's why, why I took it up. And I think that maybe that's why lots of other people, so when people say, why do you focus on that? Often it's for those reasons. The claim of liberal mm. democracy is an apartheid, you know, um, and just the, I think, the recognition of how unjust the system is and how people are being censored so greatly. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've spoken to um, veterans of the ANC struggle, uh, people like Ronnie Casrells, who's himself Jewish. And, uh, you know, they say that the, the apartheid system in Palestine is, is worse. The, the, the apartheid inflicted by the Israelis is worse than, than, than what they endured. And of course, you know, Nelson Mandela, of course, on record, isn't he, is saying that, uh, you know, yeah. the, the freedom is, will be incomplete until we, you know, get the liberation of the, of the Palestinian people. But I think there's also a special responsibility for me personally in relation to Palestine. I don't know you think about this, uh, Natalie, because it's, you know, it's Britain that actually Britain, created course, it. Yeah. You know, I mean, going back, <laughs> yeah. you know, the kind of Belfer decoration well yeah. before that. And then, you know, and that's, I don't know whether, you know, felt an obligation following the the appalling events of the second world war the holocaust etc yeah. um but you know given that it was britain that created this 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 yeah. this terrible situation i mean you know i do think there is a special responsibility i just want to get your thoughts on um on the two-state uh, uh solution which is often advocated even advocated by the likes of uh, so-called labor friends of, of israel and, and the so-called jewish labor movement both of which are you know zionist uh, uh, organizations yeah. For me, I, I, I don't believe in a two-state solution. I, I, I think it's a dead dog. I think it's impossible. They're completely atomized, the, the West Bank now. Uh, and I think the only credible uh, way forward uh, ultimately will be a, would be a one-state solution with equal rights for everybody. But what's your take? I mean, you've been there. What, what's your thoughts on that? 
Um, I think that, I mean, what I would like to say, first of all, is probably as a as a European and especially as a British European, I feel that, um, you know, it's the Palestinians to make to make that decision. I wouldn't like to be we've imposed enough upon them as a no. nation. I don't want to impose anything else on them. However, my personal view is I would agree with you. I think a two state solution is dead. It's a nonsense. It's just a way of giving Israel extra time to do what it's doing. I mean, how do you dismantle you? If you ever been to Palestine, and I really would encourage people to go and visit Palestine, you'll be fine. You know, if you want any advice around who you go with, but there's brilliant groups like Green Olive Tours that you can go with. They're not going to target you as a European. It's, it's still not in their interest to do that and go and see it for yourself. But when you look at the size of the settlements, you know, there is no way you're going to dismantle that. Um, and I also think that, so I, I do believe personally in a one state solution that you, um, because I think it's in in the long term in both parties' interests, because if you have a shared future, you both want it to, to work. Mm. And I think that we know that Israel will not accept a two state solution where the Palestinians have, I mean, I don't know how you'd manage it anyway, if you think of like how, like you said, it's um, atomized, I think was the expression you used. But when you have Gaza, which is, you know, in one yeah, place, one territory, I don't yeah. even know why they thought that that would work. Um, but when you have that situation, but additionally, because we know that Israel would never allow Palestine to be militarized. And we know that the moment that, you know, that, that they would create events to find a reason to go back into Palestine. Whereas if you have a one state solution, which is a secular state for all people, one people, one vote. Um, I think that's the only just way of moving forward. You can't undo the crimes of the past. But um, if there's the chance of any reconciliation and moving forward um, in a moral way, I think that the one state solution is, is the only answer um, to the situation mm. now. I mean, look, I tell you what, I met many Jewish comrades have said to me uh, that they are very concerned, actually, about the um, the belligerent attitude that has been adopted by the Zionist lobby uh, inside the Labour Party and indeed outside yeah. the Labour Party. And we see now academics being targeted, a friend of mine, Professor yeah. David Miller, be, being targeted right right now. And there are others as well, of course. Yeah. And uh, people like Naomi uh, Wimborne Adrissi from the Jewish Voice for Labour, as I think her term the term that she used, this was a couple of three years ago, actually, before I was suspended from the Labour Party. Uh, I think her words, precise words were that this will encourage Jew hate or basically anti-Semitism, yeah. you know, and uh, it's totally counterproductive. But I mean, of course, other people like Tony Greenstein, sort of a rabbi, I mean, he's he's very clear and, uh, you know, a student of these uh, issues, yeah. um, you know, has pointed out that, you know, as far as the Zionists concerned, they don't really care about that. If In some ways, yeah. I think, uh, Tony, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what Tony's saying, I'm not putting words into yeah, his of course. mouth. And I, get, yeah. I get the sense of what he was saying is that uh, that actually serves their purpose, really. Yeah. And... Um, you know, because uh, at the end of the day, you know, I think they sort of see, uh, consolidates the kind of role of, of Israel and, you know, the sense, uh, oh, well, you know, you're not safe anyway, you need to be, you know, kind of come to Israel in that sense. So I think that's his, that's uh, that, that's the sort of position that, that Tony takes. I think there's a lot of, lot of truth in that from, from what I've seen, right. but obviously Tony's a lot more expert on it than me. But I just wanted to move on, uh, actually, because we are, uh, uh, well, we've gone half an hour already. Very, very interesting. <laughs> but I just wanted to uh, get your take on the... Um, just the way in which this whole has, whole, has, has played out within the uh, within the Labour Party and the influence that it's having on our democracy. And I know that you were a member of the Labour Party and you referred yourself to the governance and legal unit, the compliance unit, on the basis that, um, you know, you were not going to be quiet about 
solidarity with, with Palestine, but that according to the IHRA uh, examples of anti-Semitism, that you, know, you would fall foul of that. And uh, tell us a little bit about that, because you wrote a very powerful letter uh, to the General Secretary. I think you quoted uh, uh, Martin Luther King at the end, uh, his, yeah. his famous quote where he said, it's, it's not the words of your enemies that you remember, it's the silence of your, silence of your friends. friends. And uh, yeah, I certainly know that myself, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> well, from, uh, not, not, from, not from grassroots activists, I've got to say, but from the Socialist Campaign Group inside no. the Labour Party, we're absolutely silent when, yeah, uh, it was when I was uh, targeted. Um, but I'm not the only one. I mean, many, many other people, people like Ken Livingston, Tony Greenstein, who I've already mentioned, sort of a rabbi, you know, yeah. people like Cyril Chilton, who I also often quote, who's the uh, the son of two Holocaust uh, survivors, two survivors of, of Auschwitz, was actually expelled, accused of anti-Semitism and expelled. This is grotesque. Yeah, it's it's grotesque. appalling. Yeah. But just tell me, I mean, that was a, a really powerful letter. And uh, what reaction did you get? And what's, what's the upshot from that? Um, so obviously, I think you probably know that I've left Labour now after Labour leaks and everything else. It was just too much for me, although I was never suspended um, for my letter. <laughs> so I just highlight that. I did think I would be, but I wasn't. And nor, nor was Heim Breshi, um, who obviously followed um, my example with that. Um, but the re I mean, the reason why I wrote the letter was just because I was so furious about what was happening. And I wanted to expose the witch hunts or have a go at trying to expose the witch hunt for what it was and the final straw for me was when joe birds as you know a fantastic um jewish uh, counselor and also was one of the most popular at the time candidates for the nec was suspended for anti-semitism for for what in effect was a joke which was just absolutely ludicrous i mean it is absolutely disgraceful i mean now we know obviously under starmer we've had a disproportionate targeting of left-wing jews which is unforgivable when it's you know under the claim of trying to rid the Labour Party of anti-Semitism. Um, so that's why I wrote wrote the letter. In terms of the response, um, as I sort of just uh, mentioned, Haim Breshif, who's an Israeli academic, wrote his own letter, which was fantastic. Um, there was a lot of positive support from grassroots members. I had lots of people sort of writing to me. Um, there were some that weren't so happy, um, including uh, a couple of groups I won't mention because it's probably not sensible to do that but they one basically inferred that I was anti-semitic because there was a call somebody and actually a Jewish individual um, an associate who I've not actually met in person but they were very kind and sent it out to a number of people within a group that I'm involved with or had been involved with suggesting that they follow suits as a result of that one of the um individuals leading that group or responsible for that group um, inferred I was anti-Semitic and told them not to do it. Um, and another organisation that I'm a member of had basically spoke to me and said that they didn't think it was very helpful at all. Um, but in terms of grassroots, they're overwhelming um, support for it. I think it reached a lot of people. I think that the argument I made was, was a strong argument. Um, and I think that it helped others to be able to formulate their own arguments when being accused of anti-Semitism. So I think in that respect, um, there was a lot of support. And, it, and I know that I gave, obviously, I, I said to anyone who wanted to, that they could copy and amend the uh, letter as they wish to and then submit their own um their own uh, accusation against themselves, which I know a number of did because they wrote to me and, and told me that. Um, but beyond that, I don't know. You don't know who reads these letters. I, I did get one response from John McDonnell that was, um, I think it was, 
it was a long time afterwards actually he wrote to me and asked me what the outcome of it was and I kind of mentioned that I hadn't been suspended but I had since left the Labour Party um, but that was quite late in the, in the day um, but beyond that there was nothing I didn't receive anything from the Labour Party at all. That's interesting. I mean, and you know, another organisation I'm involved with, the Left Legal Fighting Fund, which we established after I won my case against the Labour Party and got costs awarded, and we put that into a, a new organisation to help others who have been similarly uh, uh, targeted. Um, and uh, you know, we, we we've been helping uh, a number of people who've been suspended for years. I mean, a Palestinian guy actually, what is one of the people that we're representing? He grew up in Gaza. Uh, was uh, was wounded shot in the leg by uh, an Israeli sniper he's lost relatives in the 2008 bombardment uh, he, he left Gaza he found his way to Britain um, went to college and uh, set up a uh, like an online uh, sort of platform to I think he called it the Palestine Telegraph or something it was a kind of an open source um, uh, online platform to you know to talk about Palestine solidarity and, and his experiences and giving opportunities for people to uh, put uh, their stories on there and uh, the parties that use that as a uh, as a pretext to suspend him I mean it's shocking frankly you know and he's been left suspended for so I think he was suspended in something like 2017 now something like 2016 2017 I mean it's truly appalling I mean the way people have been treated is absolutely shocking by the Labour party and uh, of course when they get the letter of suspension I mean you're 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 given this very helpful advice that if you are, are feeling stressed by this, and it does affect people's mental ill health, of course, it does. I you know, was very kind of low myself when I was targeted. Um, but it you know, refers you to the Samaritans. I mean, it's just shocking. You know, it's just great. And, and, and there was a lady that died. I can't remember her name. Yes, now, that's correct. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. indeed. So, so it really has a you know, really traumatic impact on, on people. And because, uh, you know, Labour Party had been a big part of people's, a big part of my life. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, for, for that to happen is, is incredibly traumatic. Uh, but, um, you know, organisations like the Board of uh, Deputies, uh, which is a very partisan organisation. Um, I think your thoughts are on that. I'd be interested. I think I think you've said they're kind of effectively undermining British democracy. Just tell us a little bit about what your thoughts are about the, the Board of Deputies. Yeah, well, the Board of Deputies, as we know at best, I mean, having spoken to some Jewish uh, friends and associates, represent maybe between 20 and 30 percent of Jews. So first of all, we need to establish that fact that they don't speak on behalf of the majority of Jews um, and they're Tory voters. <laughs> so um, that's uh, a bit of an issue who have actually supported and congratulated far right individuals, you know, around the world. So I think that that's important to remember. Um, but yeah, they're an absolute, I mean, they are a lobby group for Israel. Um, it's not anti-Semitic to state that because it's a fact. Um, you can just look at the things that they've posted if anyone's a little bit unsure about that. Um, but they've obviously worked to undermine our democracy. I mean, I can talk if I speak, obviously most of you will know what's happened in the UK. But if I look at what's happened in Jersey, um, where I live. So in 2018, um, Jersey was finally looking at um, hate speech legislation, which couldn't come soon enough. I mean, we're a little bit late on that, as Jersey is and so many things. Um, and that's important. Um, and the IHRA, of course, got mentioned at that time. Um, and we actually submitted a consultation um, into the consultation. A few of us put together a, a letter and, and submitted it. And the um, 
government of Jersey, to be fair, at that point said that they weren't going to adopt it because the legislation that they were drafting, they felt sufficiently covered anti-Semitism as all other forms of, of racism and, and, and bigotry. Um, but obviously there was the board of deputies weren't going to accept this. First of all, there was the president of our local synagogue, um, Stephen Regal, who's attacked me several times in our local paper um, for being an anti-Semite, of course. Um, despite me actually having written to the synagogue when I first set up the Jersey Palestine Solidarity Campaign and asking if they at any point had any concerns to let me know. I'd be very happy to meet for coffee with them just to highlight to them what it was we were trying to achieve. It had nothing to do with the local Jewish community, but the issue of the crimes that Israel was committing, um, which of course they didn't respond to. Um, but they obviously contacted the Board of Deputies who intervened in our democracy. There was an article in 2018 in the Times of Israel in the Jewish Chronicle. They talked about it being disturbing that our government was going to not um, adopt with all its examples, the IHRA. Um, and then that was kind of happening just before I went to Palestine. Then when I came back um, and in 2019, without any kind of debate in our local parliament, the IHRA, with all its examples, was adopted. And not only that, but our um, our communications director now for our public sector is a former Israeli soldier that used to work in the in the conservative office. So, um, I mean, a board of deputies who should have no jurisdiction over Jersey because Jersey is has. Um, responsibility for its own domestic affairs obviously we don't for other things but for our local policy it you know so they shouldn't have any jurisdiction over here and yet they were able to intervene in our democracy but we know that that's happened in the uk i mean not just the board of deputies i would say it's a board of deputies um who have clearly got an alliance with other lobby groups and other interest groups not just because of interest in israel but in terms of um continuing the status quo and neoliberalism which is destroying our communities and our planet so i mean it's terrifying and people should be aware and what i would say is as well chris that it's, that is very scary and this is a point i've made before is it's playing into anti-semitic tropes if you think about you know some of the those tropes about you know jews controlling you know and having this undue influence well, the Board of Deputies doing what it does plays into those tropes, along with this constant conflation of Judaism and Zionism. And this is why it's so dangerous. You know, I have Jewish friends who are, who are terrified about what the Board of Deputies are doing, what it means for them. Because mm -hmm. I think that it is increasing anti-Semitism. Because when people are being told constantly that Israel and Jews are one and the same thing, Zionism and Judaism, Zionism, as we know, is a political ideology, but is the same thing as Judaism. People who are ignorant and who haven't got the time to go and do the research and all the rest of it are going to start believing that. And then mm. there will be this growing Jewish and um, anti-Jewish sentiments, which is which is dangerous. Indeed. I mean, and, and it works both ways as well. And I think, uh, you know, there is a real fear uh, in the, uh, you know, non you know, people aren't politi necessarily politically active in the Jewish community mm -hmm. who genuinely did believe that, uh, uh, a Corbyn-led Labour government would, uh, you know, be uh, introducing pogroms and uh, concentration of camps. Course. I mean, it's just—it's really irresponsible, frankly, yeah. what they what they've been doing, and and really unforgivable. But I want to move on because we want to get a reaction from our audience, and I just want to ask you one final point because I know you're active. You're you're a model activist, I've got to say, Natalie. But you're yeah. involved in <laughs> you're involved in uh, you're involved in the campaign against the uh, the arms trade, and I just want to uh, show a quick. Uh, 
video uh, of a, uh, a protest that you were involved with. Again, you know, the uh, Israeli state uh, very instrumentally, uh, you know, in the whole kind of arms trade, both in terms of Britain selling arms to uh, uh, yeah. Israel. And of course, during the apartheid era in South Africa, they were selling arms to the apartheid regime there. But uh, let me just play this uh, quick uh, video and then get your reaction. Okay. People power were mobilizing to try and stop the arms fair, try and stop these trucks getting in in the first place. Israel will have its own designated pavilion in the arms fair to market its weapons, which are tested on Palestinian civilians in Gaza. Battle tested on the broken bodies of ordinary people, of children, of civilians, of journalists and of medics. It is a horrific situation that our government is profiting from an arms trade that is allowing regimes all around the world to commit brutal human rights violations. It's strange having this in my home borough um, in Newham. Um, these weapons are being sold to states like Israel who use them illegally against the plighted people of Palestine. So it's vital to come and stop the war here where it starts um, so that it can't get any further. War starts here. It's here in the UK and we really, really need to show our opposition as people who are living here in this country. The aim is to try and stop the arms fair from coming. And we can only do that with people like you come out here and join the people power and join the protest against the arms fair. It's vital that other people come down um, because you can see the, the police turnout is huge. The police don't want us protesting uh, mass murderers and illegal weapon sales. Um, so we need as many people here as we can get. It's absolutely important that all people, people of conscience, come together, stand together, and that we will stand with one voice and say, stop arming Israel. I think you were uh, dragged off by the cops, weren't you, at one of those uh, <laughs> protests? Uh... Yeah, I was. It's, it makes me sound much more badass than I am, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I was. So um, one of the things, obviously, I helped with organise the um, Palestine Solidarity Campaign uh, response to the um, arms fair. And one of the suggestions I had for a creative action was to dress as paramedics and to kneel in front of a truck, which I did. Um, and I don't know if you saw the footage, but I kind of had blood spattered on me and I was holding up the picture of Razana Najjar, who was a medic who was shot dead by a yeah. sniper. She tried to deliver um, you know, emergency aid to a Palestinian. Um, and basically the police picked me up and, and carried, carried me off, um, which mm. actually made the news in Jersey. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I was spoken to by um, one of my managers who were just, um, for, but it was fine because the, actually one of the senior managers was very, so, was supportive of my actions, <laughs> so, right. which was good. good so, yeah. yeah. No, well, well done for that. And, uh, you know, you. I think it's, uh, it's quite inspiring to see those sorts of demonstrations. And uh, it's really important that people do, you get involved in that obviously Absolutely. once the, uh, the lockdown uh, ends and we can start you know getting back to some semblance of normality we need to resist and the way to resist is is as you know on the street the sort of thing that you were doing yeah, and there's the great tradition great tradition of that isn't there, around the world from the civil rights movement in um, in the uh, united states to the uh, movement in in india south africa mm -hmm. you know we, we we actually have to put ourselves in in in, let's say in harm's way but certainly in the way as it were, to make our, uh, our feelings known. Let me just go to Lizzie now in the last 10 minutes and just sort of get the uh, reaction from our viewers to what you've been saying, Natalie. Thanks. Hello, everybody. 
Um, lovely to see you all. We've got so many questions, Nat, so I'll try and go <laughs> through them as quickly as possible. John Cooper says, it needs explaining to the public how the Israeli Israel intelligence services has a stranglehold on politics globally. How do we do that? Um, how do we explain to the public? I think that, I mean, there's plenty of evidence there. So I think it's a case of just keep educating yourself and then sharing that information with other people, but just making sure that we get it from the right source. We understand what we're saying so we don't end up straying into areas um, that could, you know, have us actually legitimately targeted for anti-Semitism. But I think it's important to educate ourselves and share that you know, beyond what we're doing. I think it's just about finding the courage to stand up. And I keep saying this to people, do not be scared of labels. Those labels will fall away, fall away in time. You know, we need to find the courage as Palestinians have demonstrated for over seven decades now um, and just stand up. You know, I, I think I said this in my podcast, if anybody ever saw it um, with the point of discussion with, with Eddie West, um, a local friend of mine, um, about, you know, just to ignore the label. So what? You think I'm an anti-Semite? You know, our stances are rooted in international law. We need to be confident in that. We need to find our courage and just ignore the rest of it, because the idea is to silence us. So what we should do is double down. Thank you. Uh, Ed Mahoney says, why do we focus on Palestine stroke Israel when we should just focus on home affairs? We alienate some voters by mentioning such a divisive topic, don't we? What has it got to do with us? Well, hopefully a gentleman will have listened to some of the earlier um, interview <laughs> where I kind of talk about that. Um, I think that it's not a one thing or another you know, and I think it's important, most of us, um, and that includes myself personally, I'm not just focused on Palestine, that's my international ish, um, area of focus, but actually I'm trying to do what I can within the community, trying to fight for, you know, the rights of, of um, you know, of ordinary people within the UK, within the British Isles um, as a whole. So I don't think one thing or the other, you know, it, it, it doesn't mean, you know, if some people are put off, then, um, there's not a huge amount I can do about that, you know, other than I always say this to individuals. In fact, one of the jobs I had to do when I was away was to um, give uh, tours to delegations of various groups, including politicians. And I had a group that had Tories, Liberal Dems and um, Labour members. And one of the things I highlighted was to Caroline Feldman, who actually wrote a blog about her trip to um, Hebron. And I said to her, and this is what this gentleman perhaps needs to really think about, is there's a danger to us all when we make international law irrelevant. And I think you see this with the policing bill with spy cops. If we make it acceptable for international law and human rights to be undermined um, and for freedoms to be taken away, we know that the chickens will always come home to roost. So I think that when people say, you know, as a we are a global community, whether we like it or not, globalization, our global economy has has um, ensured that. So what happens on the other side of the world does actually impact us locally. So that is one of the reasons why, first of all, it doesn't have to be one thing or the other. You can do both. But secondly, it does impact us. If Israel is allowed to undermine our democracy, which it's doing and doing all the other things, but also if we accept these things being done to other people, What's to say that as political landscapes change, it won't then become an issue for us? And would we not hope 
that people on the other side of the world, if we were being silenced and being oppressed, would also make a stand for us. Thank you. That was exactly the answer I wanted from you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> does the, uh, Marty O says, does the US uh, and the UK by extension use Israel to subjugate the Middle East or is it the other way around? I would say that obviously it's in the US interest to have a um, European colonial, you know, settler colonialist state within the region, because obviously it's about controlling resources. I would say that the US gains a lot from it, as does the West as a whole. Um, you know, I think that America will only be influenced by a state as much as it wishes to. And I think that's important to know. I don't, I don't think that Israel has, you know, is stronger than America. I just think that it's, um, or has more influence than America. I just think that it serves a purpose to Americans. And we should never forget the number of Christian Zionists that exist who have their own religious ideological reasons um, for Israel existing and continuing as it does. Thank you. Well, somebody called Sean, no idea who that is, asks, uh, Robert Inlakash described protests in Israel that are happening now. Can that explain what exactly is happening right now? Briefly. I'm not really sure I kind of understand the question, if I'm honest. I mean, in terms of what's happening, if we're talking about what's going on in Sheikh Jarrah with everything that's going on there um, in Jerusalem, um, I would say, obviously, you've got the Kahanis who gained power, Lahava, which is a far right group, have entered the Knesset. They've got six seats, um, which is terrifying. Um, they are the Jewish equivalent of the KKK. They're white, a white supremacist and fascist group, I would say. Um, in terms of those protests, well, they, they've been seen for years. Now it's in Jerusalem and it's getting some mainstream coverage. Um, but actually, these protests by these individuals, um, I mean, the Jewish groups are shouting death to Arabs. That's been going on for years. That's nothing new. This idea that it's a small group, that's total nonsense. Um, and you can see that if you look into the area, again, if you want to visit. In terms of the Palestinian protests, well, they can they you know, they've never given up their resistance. It might have taken different forms, but their resistance has never ended. Aziz asks, we had Nelson Mandela in South Africa to focus on in in to focus on in the global fight against our apartheid there. Do we need a person like that in Palestine? And if so, do we have someone? There's lots of people that exist like that, whether it's Omar Baghouti, whether it's my good friend um, Issa Amro, you know, there's so many individuals. I think that what's slightly different is, one, I would say this has been going on for much longer now. Um, secondly, there isn't the same. So whereas with South Africa, obviously a lot of people opposed it and a lot of the West supported it, you know, for um, all sorts of reasons. I think that the lobby group wasn't as effective effective in controlling um, the narrative. So I would argue that there are lots of, you know, the equivalents of Nelson Mandela, but they're denied the same platform that perhaps Nelson Mandela got. And also we need to, I think sometimes people look back, and I was very young during apartheid, so I'm, I'm not going to pretend I did a huge amount um, in it because I didn't, because, um, yeah. Um, however, what I would say is that people have this idea because of the movies being made now and Nelson Mandela is this great hero, but he wasn't always seen as a hero 
And I think yes. it's important that people remember that, that, you know, we remember and talk about him now and his great speeches. But that wasn't always the case. It was when the tide turned, really, we began to see him giving a, a, a greater platform and able to speak on behalf. And I think that as the narrative turns um, and we will end this apartheid, this will come to an end. We will win this war. I'm sure of that. But um, but when the real tide turns properly, we will see those individuals. I think having a greater platform. We've got time for one more. Uh, yeah, well, um, right. <sighs> can we talk about Abbas? This is an immediate problem and can be easier fixed. Abbas, uh, you mean the prime president? Is it president? <laughs> um, you mean the, the so called Palestinian leader? I'm a bit confused by that. I, I don't know. It's a question from Manny. Um, and I thought I'd ask it because I didn't know who Abbas was either. So I'm thinking I it's the... to Manny. Oh, that's OK. I mean, if it's Abbas, yeah, he's an issue. Um, but I think that he's an instrument of Israel as well. Um, the Palestinian Authority, the leadership are totally corrupt. I think many Palestinians will say that. Um, but Israel won't allow a effective Palestinian government to function. It just won't allow it um, mm. because of the security arrangements and everything else. Listen, we're out of time. Thank you so much, uh, Natalie. That was a really, uh, a really inspiring discussion. I'm so grateful to you for taking the time Absolutely. and sharing with us your experience, your first-hand experience. You've obviously got a depth of knowledge and to hear you speak there so calmly and clearly about the, about the injustice, the outrage, uh, I think it, you know, it's very, very persuasive. And you know, hopefully a lot of people will have tuned in and will certainly share this afterwards as well. And I think it's really important that we... That we support Natalie, that we you know we support each other. We you know we get behind the uh, the Palestinian cause. It's important because we're internationalists at the end of the day. And uh, you know if we uh, you know if we can't stand in solidarity with people who are being oppressed and very often being oppressed by the same sort of uh, corporations, institutions, and yeah. politicians that are oppressing people in this country. You know, and uh, as Pastor Niemöller once said. Uh, you know, first they came for the uh, communist and I didn't speak mm. out because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the trade unionist and I didn't speak out because I was the trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. And then they came for me and there was nobody left to speak mm. out for me. Exactly. And all we've got, as I keep saying, is each other, is solidarity. That's where our strength comes from. It doesn't mm. come from lots of money because we ain't got it. Uh, but no. we've got each other. We stick together. We will prevail. And uh, and it's so inspiring to hear Natalie talk in those terms and talk about you know the hopeful vision for the Palestinian cause to to prevail there because it's so long and the, the oppression is so disgusting and so many people have lost their lives. So many people have been incarcerated uh, and living you know having their homes taken from them, their children being imprisoned. It's it's horrendous. It's appalling. And we need to do everything we can. Uh, everybody watching today, the Resist Movement for People's Party, I think, to uh, to, to promote this cause because uh, their cause is our cause and uh, we stand as one uh, or we, uh, we fall. Um, uh, uh, if uh, if they fall, we fall. Their injury is our injury. And, uh, you know, we have to uh, remember that. And uh, that old watchword about unity being strength is, is so crucial. So thank you again, uh, Natalie, for this evening. It's a huge privilege. Really, really <laughs> no, great. Well, the privilege is all ours, I can assure you. Uh, thank you, everybody, for, for watching. I hope you found that useful. I certainly did. Uh, tune in next week at the same time on Wednesday, 7 o'clock. Look forward to seeing you then. Thanks for watching.